in this lab, we're going to focus on Matthew 22, 15 to 21. Father, I pray that in Jesus' words here, we would understand some profound implications about how Christians relate to the state and how Jesus relates to his adversaries. I pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. This is one of those passages that I think teach us that in our understanding of Scripture, there are often places, this is one of them, where Jesus and the other authors don't answer all of our questions explicitly because they want to push us to think about something rather than handing us the answer on a platter. I'll show you what I mean. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Jesus, this is Jesus, in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So you've got Pharisees coming who are the great devotees of the law, and you've got the Herodians who were the members of Herod's party, a more political group, saying, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is the entanglement that they want. So, pay them or don't pay them. Now, why, why would that entangle him? Because if, if he says pay, then they will say you're a traitor to the Jewish cause. You are complicit with Caesar and you're not a faithful Jew after all. And he will lose favor with the populace who didn't like the overlords of the Romans occupying their land. And if he says, don't pay, then he's in trouble with Caesar and the Herodians because he would be a, a revolutionary. So they hope to hang Jesus on this dilemma. If he says, pay, he's out of sorts with the Jews. And if he says, don't pay, then he's out of sorts with the Romans. And they've got him. Either way, they can undo his, his influence. But Jesus, aware of their malice, sees right through their seeming question, is it lawful to pay taxes or not? A, a good question, but it's malicious, and he sees right through it, and he says, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? So how are, how are they hypocrites? Because they were posing a question as though they wanted an answer, as though they were in the business of learning and growing and drawing down wisdom from Jesus, and that's not what they were doing at all. That was a, a posture that was opposed. They were trying to entangle. Their hearts were malicious, so they were hypocrites, pretending on the outside to be asking honest questions, and on the inside, malice with a desire to entangle. And isn't it interesting, and I think very significant in dealing with his adversaries, that Jesus says, why are you doing this? In other words, he forces them back to their, their motives, because we know from, where is it, uh, Matthew 27, 18, I think, Matthew 27, 18, where it says Pilate knew that the Jews were handing Jesus over out of envy. They were envious of Jesus' popularity. 
and he was carrying the day. And so this malice here had some deep motives behind it. And when Jesus says, why are you doing this? He wanted them to dig down and see their own hearts, their own motives of envy. So what will he answer their question? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, very common coin, uh, about the amount of a day's wage for a common laborer. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, and here comes his answer. And some people say this is a dodge, and he doesn't really answer. I don't think so. It's not explicit in every regard, but it's profound in what it pushes us to realize. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And if he had stopped there, he would have been saying, pay up. And they would have had him. He would have shown himself to be a traitor to the Jewish cause, complicit with the Roman overlords, and the Jewish crowds would have abandoned him. Instead, he adds this, and render to God the things that are God's. And it says they marveled and went away. So what are we to learn from this? Look what he left unanswered. He, he didn't address the scope of their spheres. So Caesar has a sphere, things that are Caesar's. What's the scope? He doesn't tell us what those things are, how broad they are. Things that are God's. He doesn't address the scope of that. And so he leaves unanswered the, the scope of the sphere of Caesar and the sphere of God. And he also leaves unaddressed the relationship. Right? This, this and here. And. He says and to God the, the things that are God. So how does rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's relate to rendering to God the things that are God's? No comment from Jesus. Is that simply an escape, a clever dodge of the issue? I don't think so. Because if you ponder now, what are the things that are God's? And then how does that relate to the things that are Caesar's? If you ask that question, some pretty serious implications emerge quickly. Jesus wants us to think about this. He doesn't just want us to have an answer. Oh, good, we now have an answer for how to relate to the government. He wants us to think about them. And here are the implications I see. See if you don't agree that these are all here. The first implication I see of saying that the things that belong to God, you should give to God. Everything belongs to God. This is everything. Everybody would know that. Everybody would agree with that, with, which means that if everything belongs to God, then the things that belong to Caesar belong to Caesar derivatively. Caesar's kingdom is derivative. Caesar's kingdom is warranted by 
God's rule. If everything belongs to God, which everyone agrees that it does, then Caesar has what he has by derivation. Caesar has what he has because it's warranted by God. It is first God's, and if Caesar has any right at all, which apparently he does, because Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, he only has it because God has Caesar. So that's the first thing I see. Here's the second thing I see. Caesar's sphere and his rights, his claim for obedience is limited. If you render to God what is God's, namely everything, if God's claim on you is total because he owns everything and has absolute authority, then the claim of Caesar cannot be total. It must be limited. And so, If Caesar calls us to do something that contradicts what God calls us to do, Caesar's authority, his sphere of things, is limited. That's the second thing I think is implied. And the third thing that's implied is that Caesar's sphere and our allegiance to it is shaped by God's superior possession and authority. What I mean by that is that we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's as an act of worship to God. Because God owns everything, he owns Caesar. If God calls us to submit to Caesar in his sphere, which he does because Jesus just said it, render to Caesar, then we're doing it for God's sake first. So, the biblical text, let's see, did I give one? There's a biblical text behind each of these. Let me, let me point them out. In John 19.11, John 19.11, Jesus says to Pilate, you would only have authority over me it was, if it was given you from above. So your authority, Pilate, and Caesar's over you is derivative. And in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than man, so that Caesar's and man's authority is limited. And this shaped here is in Ephesians. I don't think I wrote down the the exact text. I think it's uh, 6, wherever it talks about, we uh, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, the principle there is anytime you submit to a human authority, you do it as to the Lord. Your submission to Caesar, your submission to your employer, your submission to a school teacher, your submission to a pastor is never because who they are in and of themselves. It's because God has called you to that submission. So Caesar's sphere of things is derivative and warranted by God's sphere, and it's it's limited and it is shaped. And therefore, I, I don't think this is not a dodge. This, Jesus is not running away from the issue here. Instead of putting everything right on a platter for us, he states it in a way that leaves the scope undefined explicitly and leaves the relationship undefined explicitly because he expects us to do the kind of thing that I just did and we should do every time we read the Bible. We press in to what Jesus said in order to discern how we live our lives.